Well, good morning. If you will, take your Bible, turn to 1 Peter. If you know anything about 1 Peter, 1 Peter was written to believers who were actually dying for their faith. Much persecution was happening. Uh, many people were losing everything they owned, and, and ultimately, for many, they lost their lives. And so, here in 1 Peter chapter 1, you kind of see what Peter's trying to do. He wants these folks to know something. Like, what would you say to someone, they are about to die for their faith? They've lost everything. Maybe they've lost every possession they've ever had. They've lost their family. Maybe they've been put in prison, and now they're going to lose their earthly life. What would you say to them? So here's what Paul or Peter writes to them, if you will. Chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Right there at the very end of verse 3, he says this. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable. And so remember, these people, they're about to perish. And the things that they've had, they are losing all these things, including their life. But he reminds them, he wants them to know something, to be certain in their death. This is not it. So he says, it's imperishable. It's an inheritance. It's imperishable. It's undefiled. It is unfading. It is kept in heaven for you, who, by God's power, are being guarded through the faith for the salvation ready to be revealed in the last times. And so to dying people, Peter is reminding them, listen, this life, just a vapor, what is ahead is kept, it's secure, it won't be taken from you, you will not lose it, it is waiting for you. So if you will, go on to the right to Second Peter, he wants us to know something as well. So it's a little bit different in this second letter that Peter writes because he is warning them about false teachers. In fact, if you've ever read First, Second Peter, it's short, not a whole lot there. He doesn't describe much at all what the false teaching is, even though you kind of get an idea in some places. But more than anything, 2 Peter, Peter is giving them a description of like their character, their lostness, and what the false teachers are more like. And so what he wants to do is help these people, these believers, but he wants to help you and I. Like When it comes to false teachers, we live in a day that there's just un, untruth everywhere. So what do you need to know? What do you need to be prepared for in a time of such falsehood? And so, if you will, there in Second Peter, he begins there in chapter 1, starting in verse 1. We could spend forever. In fact, for you and I in heaven, we'll celebrate this for eternity. Know your salvation. Know it. Now, I don't know about you, but it's been about 42 years since God woke up my dead heart, gave me faith. I was born again. I have been now in this transformation, this sanctification part of my life for 40-some years now. And yet, my understanding and my appreciation of my salvation is way more than it was when I first came to Christ. I don't know about you, but as you grow and understand, oh my goodness, 
I didn't realize I was in that bad a shape. You understand, it's not how bad you were. It's how bad off you were without Christ. And how bad off I was. And how bad off was that? I was dead. I had no responses. I couldn't do anything about it. And yet, the more and more as you learn through Scripture and understand the greatness of your salvation, you become like, oh my goodness. And so listen to it, if you will, starting in verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith, or maybe some of y'all's translations might say have received faith. It's gained by divine will. It wasn't like you churned up enough faith. The faith for you to believe as a dead person was a gift as well. And so this faith was given to us, he says, of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And again, Pastor Marty has preached this over and over again. You understand it's by the righteousness of Christ. It is by His righteousness not in ours at all. And it is what? That righteousness is imputed or assigned or maybe credited to you and I. He did all the work. You and I as a dead person received it as a gift. Verse 2, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to to life and godliness. And and I I love this because to grant something, it's permanent. He gave us something that is permanent, not to be taken away. It was given to us, and do you hear what it said? All things that pertain to life and godliness. See, false teachers would want people to think that they lack something. Like, well, now you have that, but there's something else that you need. And yet Peter is reminding them, listen, you lack nothing. God has given you and I everything that we need, not just for our salvation, but for our being conformed into the image of Christ. He has given us everything that we need through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence to be called. You might know this, but preaching and sharing your faith with other people, it's called the external call, where you're calling people to trust Christ. But if you do not realize, unless God calls them, it's called the effectual call, His call. It's like the same call that when Jesus went to the grave of Lazarus one day and He was dead, and He called to a dead man, and He came alive. Unless the Spirit of God calls like that, a person never awakens from the dead. And yet, here he's telling, reminding you and I that he has called us. He's called us. Just think about that for a bit. Unless he had called, you and I would still be dead. To his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted once again, it is a permanent thing to us, his precious and very precious, great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. 
But he also wants you and I to know something about our sanctification. And so you might know this, like the armor of God. Uh, in a couple of weeks, we're having vacation Bible school, and the whole thing is about the kingdom of God. And we're going to be walking through the armors, the different pieces of armor. And when you get to the helmet of salvation, a person might go, well, of course, of course, you know, you need to have that helmet. You, you need to be saved. You need to know what that is. But the helmet of salvation is a little bit more of that. In fact, just listen to 2 Thessalonians, if you would, chapter 5, verse 8. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. The helmet of salvation is that you and I understand our salvation. In other words, in our justification, you've heard this before, right? Last Sunday, Marty said it, and I think he did it the Sunday before, and he'll probably do it next Sunday. The truth is, we've been justified, which means that we have been saved from the what? penalty of sin you and I now if you're a believer are in this thing called sanctification and we are being saved from the power of sin and then one day we're going to be glorified and we will be saved from the presence of sin but the enemy our adversary the devil would love for you and I to think like Man, I'm not like, I'm not what I should be. Like, I thought I would be saved and instantaneously just be the image of Christ. And yet, if you do not realize that sanctification is this lifelong process of our being conformed to the image of Christ, you get to go like, oh, I must be a failure. I must be lacking something. I must need that second blessing I've heard about. I, I must need to read another book. I need to hear somebody else, what they have to say. I must be missing something. And yet the helmet of salvation is the realization that God is not done with me yet. He is still in the process in fact, I want you, if you will, flip over to Philippians 1 because it is a fact. It is a guarantee of God that you are not finished yet. He is not finished working on you. He is still working and he will complete it because that's what Philippians chapter 1, if you would, in verse 6 says. It is a guaranteed thing that he will take us through this sanctification process. Look, if you will, and I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Flip over, if you will, Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Because here's the process, all right? The process is, if you will, right in the middle of verse 12, it says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And the working out is a mining Remember, it's a mining terminology. It is to mine out what has been put in. You and I are to work out what God has started in us. We are to part of our sanctification. I hope you heard that right. Not part of our salvation, but you and I have a part in our sanctification, the working out. We are to do it with fear and trembling because verse 13 says this, 
For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So if you would, 2 Peter chapter 1. This particular area is just talking about the parts. When you and I are being sanctified, things we need to make sure of. And in 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 5, listen to what it says. For this very reason, because of this great salvation, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Went over that a few weeks ago. Virtue, moral fortitude, excellence to do what is right, even when it means you might have to stand alone. No one else is there. You are going to have to. You, God is working in you. So it is what? It is you and I give an effort that is divinely empowered. You and I must add to this. And then it says this, not only to virtue, but knowledge will camp on today. And knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness. And steadfastness with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he is cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In other words, when you and I are very involved and diligently participating in our growth, our being conformed to the image of Christ, our sanctification, we have this reassurance, Scripture is telling us, that we are in Him. But when we slack off, then the assurance fades away. And so how much more we should be diligent to do it because of the assurance. But here's one thing I want to camp on today, and that is Peter wants you and I to know Scripture. And I find it very encouraging. Uh, I believe every one of you would not be here today if you didn't believe heritage, its leading teaching pastor, believed the Scriptures was true. You wouldn't be here if you didn't believe they were true as well. And yet, you and I must continually be reminded of how faithful, how accurate, infallible, inerrant that Scripture is. Peter wanted his people to know. He wants you and I to know. That's why he says, if you will, starting in verse 11, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus made it clear. And so Peter's saying, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that you are reminded of these things because I'm going to be crucified really soon. I am assured that. Jesus told him, you are going to die for your faith. 
And so Peter's saying, hey, before I die, I'm going to make sure that you're reminded of these things. And that's why he writes this letter. That's why you and I to this day have it. And he says, verse 50, I will make 15 every effort so that after my departure, you may be able to at any time to recall these things. You and I have the scriptures in our hands that at any time we're able to recall these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths. This is what the false teachers were doing. They were cleverly coming up with myths, misguiding the people. False teachers were always coming after Peter and saying, now you heard what he said about the second coming in his first letter, and that's not true, and they begin to put doubts. And so false teachers would always come afterwards and try to cause doubt in the people's minds. And that's why Peter says, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The false teachers who were attacking said this about Peter, and yet they could not back it up because listen to what he has to say. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, and we were with him on the holy mountain. I want you to keep your finger there, if you would. Flip hard left and go to Matthew 17. See this uh, story once again. When Peter, James, John get to go with Peter, with Jesus to the mount. We call it the Mount of Transfiguration. Here's what he's looking back at. So if you would, Matthew chapter 17. Verse 1, and after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother. They led them up on a high mountain by themselves. He was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses, one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And the voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise, have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Here's the deal. Peter's saying to these false teachers, and he's saying to the people that are listening to them, they have no claim. I'm telling you as an apostle, Peter's saying, that myself... James and John, we were there. We saw it. We heard it. We were with him. But here's what's interesting. This is really interesting because he says, here's the thing. The very next verse. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. 
And so Peter's saying, listen, there was this incredible experience that I, Peter, and John experienced. The false teachers, they could not claim that. But there is something even greater than this experience, and that is the word that God has given you and I. In fact, I want you, if you will, look at Luke chapter 16 for a moment. A more sure word than just an experience. Today, our world, probably forever, people have been looking for an experience. And yet God is so loving and kind that he would give us his word that would be even more sure than an experience. In fact, in Luke 16, if you would, it's the story of Lazarus and a rich man. And you know the story, right? Lazarus is a poor man. He's just begging to have something from the rich man's table. And then they both die. The angels come and they take Lazarus to be with Father Abraham. And then what? The rich man goes to hell. And you pick it up in verse 27. And he, the rich man, is saying to Father Abraham, I beg you, Father, to send him, Lazarus, to my father's house. For I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. What's he saying? They have the scriptures. A more sure word than any experience. But I want you to listen to what the rich man says. In hell, no Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. No, Scripture isn't enough. They need an experience of a dead man coming back and then convincing them. And Abraham says, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, the Scripture, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Because you and I have a more sure word in Scripture than just an experience. In fact, I want you, if you would, just one more place, and we'll go back to 2 Peter and Camp for just a moment. 2 Corinthians, if you would, chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. 2 Corinthians 10, 5 says, We destroy arguments. Some of y'all, again, translation might say speculations. We get the word logic, human reasoning, whether human or demonic thoughts, opinions, reasonings, rationales. And it says, in every lofty opinion, any unbiblical truth, human reasoning, raised against the knowledge of God, and we are to take every thought captive to obey Christ. So again, read just the whole thing without me just giving little definitions. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. So I had a conversation this past week with a person, and uh, you would not know them, so don't be looking around going like, I bet it's them, all right? 
Don't need it. But we had a conversation, and it was like my first ever conversation. And just to stay G-rated, he, he, I'm sorry, gave it away. They said they were going through the transition of their gender and said that they knew what the Bible says, but they had to do what's best for them and their mental health. So, listen, not just this incident, but honestly, you know, whenever you and I sin, you know what it is? It's Scripture, and whatever's what's best for me, what is best for me, raised against what God has given you and I. And here's the thing, He gave us His Word for our good right? Scripture is for our good. Some, I remember as a young Christian, I'd look through it going like, man, there's a lot of don'ts. Don't do that. Don't do that kind of a deal. Of course, you know, as a parent, you do a lot of that because you, it's good for your kids, right? And so Scripture is given for our good, but we sin whenever we say, hey, I got to do what's best for me what makes me feel good, what attends to my needs. We raise it against the knowledge of God. And the Scripture tells us right here that you and I, we must do something, actively do something, and that is what? We are to take every thought captive that raises itself against what Scripture has told us because it is the sure thing. And we are to take it captive to obey Christ. We must quickly, because you've heard this over and over before, right? If you do not take your thoughts captive, your thoughts will do what? They'll take you captive. And so you must be diligent about taking it captive. So if you would, back to 2 Peter. Back in 2 Peter, in verse 19, he says, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Or in other words, it never came from a person's origin. Like the beginning of it never came with like one day Peter just thought, hey, listen, I'm going to write a book. It's going to be God's word, and I'm just going to write it. He's saying, no, it never came from a person's own interpretation or origin. Verse 21, for no prophecy has ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Much like a sailboat, it has no power on its own. It's got to open up its sails, and another power has to come along and move them along and Peter is reminding you and I you and I have the scriptures it never came from someone's opinion or idea or one day they thought it up but it's the spirit of God who moved on these and how else just hang on for a moment how else could 40 different people of all walks of life shepherds up to kings in different walks I mean somewhere in prison some were in exile, some were in palaces, 
when God moved upon them to write Scripture? How else, after three different languages, over three different continents, and probably more than anything, over a span of 1,500 years, that 66 letters could come together and all point to one person without any contradiction? How could that happen? Unless it was the Spirit of God that moved on them to write the Scriptures. How else? And here's this, if you would, in your notes. In the quotes, there's a Westminster Confession quote, and it says this. Our full persuasion and assurance of infallible truth and divine authority thereof is from the inward work of the Holy Spirit, bearing witness by and with the word in our hearts. They took part of that from 1 John 2.20, says, But you have the anointing from the Holy One, and all you know the truth. In other words, the Holy Spirit that moved on them to write Scripture is the same Holy Spirit that lives in you and I as believers that gives this inner witness that this is a more sure thing than any experience, any fear that comes along, any tragedy that comes along that would just sink us or take us somewhere where we shouldn't be in our thoughts. And we have a sure thing that anchors you and I. And if you'd look back at chapter, or chapter 1, if you would, there you are in Second Peter, verse 5, it says this, For this very reason, make every effort not only to supplement your faith with virtue, but with knowledge. In other words, continue to grow in the Scriptures. And then verse 19, did you hear what he said? To which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Until glorification, you and I must heed Scripture diligently in every area of life, not take it for granted, not take anything for granted. And so just a couple things, just application-wise, think about it for a minute. If you and I have a sure word more than any experience, then for you and I, and again, shouldn't probably be said, all of you are here at Heritage, I think, because you believe the Scriptures. You believe them, you live them, you're in them, but maybe just once again to encourage that there is no substitute for you personally being in the Scriptures. You've heard our teaching pastor. You've heard your ABF leaders. You've heard others. You know yourself that if you daily are in the Scriptures, there's no substitute to your walk with the Lord. If you do not have that, I would encourage you, we would encourage you, that you find a time you find a place, and for me, that's just pretty important because if I don't set a time and a place and have a plan, everything else gets in the way. Like, I mean, if I wait, and, and I'm not saying you can't. I know one guy, he waits till everybody goes to bed, and he has quiet time. I, I have quiet time when everyone goes to bed. I mean, I'm in a coma. I, I can't do that. But that doesn't mean it's wrong because every person's different. But for me, it has to be first thing, first thing in the morning. I don't even talk to Sherry first thing in the morning. I don't. I, I don't 
you know, uh, encourage that. But anyway, I, I don't talk to her first thing in the morning. I try to get up. I try to get with the Lord and I tell him good morning and thanks for bringing me through the night and thanks for this great cup of coffee because I really need it right now. And I welcome him and I can't wait to spend my first part of my day with him. I need it more than anything. It sets my day. It doesn't mean that I don't read it throughout the day or I study at different times, but my morning time with Jesus and his word is huge. And there's really no anything to replace it. I would encourage that. I would encourage this also. There's another quote on your worship guide. I've, I've said this one over and over and over again, but it's by Jay Packer, and it's about repentance. And listen to what it says once again. Repentance means turning from as much as you know of your sin. I would encourage you, if I have a pen, you'd underline, as you know of your sin. In other words, in your sanctification, you and I should be coming more and more aware of the besetting sin. Besetting means just the go-to sin. We should be highly aware of the sin that easily besets us. We should be growing and realizing, oh my goodness, I've been duped by that for years. I continually like run to that. Why do I keep getting tricked up by that? And so Packer is saying, as you grow in knowing about your sin, growing in it, realizing, oh my, I must wage war against it. It goes on to say this, to give as much as you know of yourself. And as you are Again, growing in Christ-likeness, you realize the areas, I'm talking of myself, of the areas that are so easily rationalized and justified. And as you and I grow, you and I should realize more and more of ourselves. oh my goodness, I can't trust myself with that. I can't go down that way. And then he goes on to say this, to as much as you know of your God, Again, you and I for eternity will be growing and realizing the greatness of God. But as you and I grow in our greatness of realizing how great God is, how sinful sin is, how duped one can be towards our sin, he finishes out and he says, to know God as our knowing grows at these three points, so our practice of repentance has to be enlarged. Here's the last one. What are you going to do with Marty's messages? Oh, or what are you going to do with this one? I, I would encourage you. I would so encourage you. I know this about when Marty, I know this about most all of our ABF teachers, when they teach the Word, they have put time and effort in it. So what do you do with those? I, I would encourage you, instead of just putting them away, maybe during the week, you pull them out. During your time with the Lord, that you look through them again. You go over and you realize this is the Word of God. These are things I had not known, but yet because a man of God has studied and has shared these things, I should look deeper. I would encourage you take even more serious scripture 
when it's taught and you take it further, you take it more than just on a Sunday morning. This is an encouragement. This is not like I saw someone left their bulletin in the, you know, it's not, I'm encouraging. I'm encouraging myself more and more that Scripture's taught that you go back over it. You glean from it. God is speaking to you. Now, I end with this. What about when you say, that just didn't speak to me this morning? What do you do with that? Like, I just didn't get anything out of that. Could it be that the Spirit of God has been saying something, and the truth is, all of us need it. But you might go like, I don't know if I need that, like right now. Take it that the Spirit of God is speaking and equipping you that one day you might need that very thing. Now, I'll tell you the story. I'll end. So for years, I was in this Bible study, and there's one guy in there. Many of you know, you'll remember, Elmo Black. You remember the guy named Elmo Black? He wore a tie every Sunday, but it was like glowing in the dark or it had blinking lights. He, he, he loved that stuff, right? And Elmo Black was in this Thursday morning Bible study. And every Thursday when we ended, and Ron Scarberry, he can testify this, he would always end with, pray for my daughter Sherry. She doesn't know the Lord. And we would all pray and like, you know, would go on. Never thought of it much. And then Elmo passed away, got to go to heaven. And it was a great time. What a great about a year and a half after Elmo passed, I got a phone call here at the church. And here's how it went. Hello, Pastor. My name is Sherry. I'm Elmo Black's daughter. That was creepy. I just have to tell you, it was creepy. Like, a year and a half later, hadn't thought of it in forever. And yet his daughter calls and says, hey, I got my... Uh, I got my father's ashes, and I would like to have a burial, and would you do that? Because he spoke. I said, I, I would love to. So I met them at a cemetery, and it was his daughter and her son. And I had never met Sherry, but I knew something about her. You know why? For years, her dad told me. I never gave it any thought, like, okay, we do need to pray for Sherry, but I never took it any further than the day she called and said, would you do a little something? And so I remember I stood there at a cemetery, and it was just three of us. And I said, Sherry, I've never met you before, but I, I know a little bit about you, and that's creepy. But I know that your dad loved you. Because he told me every Thursday morning for years that he wanted you to know Jesus. And I got to share the gospel with her. And yet, all that time, I had been told this, right? And then the day came. And so hear me. Whenever you maybe hear something, you go, oh, man, I just didn't get anything out of that. That's not for me. Yeah, it is. It's for every one of us. 
Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that this morning, even though we hear maybe things we know, pretty sure of, I pray that we'd go away with realizing what you've given us is the greatest, surest, most confident, infallible, inerrant, no mistakes. You have given us your word. We can trust it and thank you that your Holy Spirit lives within us and it reminds us and tells us that we believe this. Which makes me just, Father, forgive me when I grieve you, when I quench you. I need your spirit to continue to remind me of the confidence I have in you and your word alone. Help us, Father, to take it seriously. And as we even go from this place that your word is fresh in our hearts and tomorrow morning and the next day or maybe the evening that we can't wait to get in it once again. Thank you for it. We ask this in your name. Amen.